17, we're going to continue our study through the life of the journey of Abraham. That's been our motive, is a journey. And um, I, I continue to pray and trust that you and I have found ourselves in this journey in various places. We may not be named Abraham, um, but we have our identity, we have our place in this world, and we have our occupations and our families, and we find ourselves in a journey. And so uh, before we um, start anything, but let's just ask our God uh, to teach us. Lord, I confess that I have nothing to offer these precious people. It's you we long to hear. It's you we need to hear. Lord, in a, in a time, in a, a culture, in a, a land that is just riddled with so many different voices and philosophies and worldviews, I'm so grateful your voice cuts through it with truth. Not just a, a subjective truth, God, but a truth that is true for all people at all places at all times. And it's a truth that cuts and transforms and changes. Because life, it's that truth we ask, Lord, that we would interact with this morning. That we would hear, indeed, as we just sung. We would surrender our hearts to you and let you change all that needs to be changed. Reaffirm all the truths we have believed that we just need to be reaffirmed. And so, Lord, we yield to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As you look at the Genesis 17 and turn there, um, I just kind of want to remind you, and uh, as I've mentioned before and, and probably will mention again, um, we live in a difficult time and we live in a world that's lied to you. It's lied to me. And what is even saddened is many in the faith have believed these lies. And while our culture is awash in lies, I think there's one particularly dangerous one that goes something like this. Anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. Because we have to wait, we've turned instant gratification into this gold standard of value. We now judge really the worth of something not by the quality of it, but how quickly we can get it. We now judge the worth of something by how quickly it can produce results. You see, speed and efficiency are in, quality is out. Speed and efficiency is what's desired. Depth, on the other hand, we wish that would come quick. Matter of fact, we've even deceived ourselves into thinking depth comes rapidly. That's not the truth of Scripture. It certainly isn't in Abraham's life. We've learned that. I mean, think about the world we live in. When we make a purchase, oftentimes, we don't really ask how long will it last. We tend to ask how quickly can I get it. If you're online on Amazon and you're looking for something, one of the things you look at, how quick can I get this into my home? Not, well, what comes into my home actually last. We don't tend to ask that question. Like anything, 
can be acquired at once doesn't cause long-term problems when you're shopping for clothes or might not really cause long-term problems when you're shopping for a tool, but it will kill your spiritual life if that's your mindset. You see, the depth of maturity does not come quickly. It must be built over time. And if greed is the evil of money, and if lust is the evil of sex, and if pride's the evil of power, then speed is the evil of depth. It's the stumbling block to slowing down and sinking our roots deep into the faith. There's a quote from an author I came across who says, there's a great market for religious experience in our world. There's little enthusiasm for patient acquisition of virtue. There's little inclination to sign up for a long journey toward holiness. Because holiness cannot be acquired at once. You see, holiness takes time. Time to be still. And at times accept the silence of God. As we look at the first verse in Genesis 17, it says, Now when Abram was 99 years old, stop there, go to the last verse of chapter 16, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar born Ishmael to him. You see, between chapter 16 and chapter 17, there's 13 years, but not just 13 years, there's 13 years of silence. Nothing. We don't read God said anything to Abram. Abram lived on what God had told him, the promises. Abram had begun to learn to walk by faith and to lean upon all that God had said to him. Every single day, Abram had to get up, look back, and remember the promise of God as he moved forward. Now remember the situation in chapter 16, Hagar has come home. Hagar and Sarah still probably aren't getting along too good. She got some of that tension still in the home. It's not like it's been an easy 13 years. For Abram, there have been challenges. But there's been this silence, this this waiting upon God. It wasn't a quick fulfillment of this promise. There took time. You see, God wanted to grow depth in Abram's life. He wanted Abram to sink his roots deep into the promise and and the presence of God. He had to wait on God. And after 13 years, God unexpectedly breaks the silence. Look at verse first chapter, chapter 17, verse 1 and 2. I just read, Abram was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will establish my covenant between me and you. And I will multiply you exceedingly. So God has taught Abram how to wait upon him. And here God shows up. He challenges Abram, and he changes Abram. Many things we're about to look at. You see, the first appearance in Ur, Abram had been talking rather regularly with God. More than once we read in our study so far that the Lord appeared to Abram with reassurances. We learned around his 79th birthday, he'd met with God after this miraculous victory on the battlefield, if you remember that. But then he heard nothing for another six or seven years. Then when he was 85, he and Sarai decided to implement their own plan. We talked about that. When his decision to run ahead of God's plan ended, and ended in spectacular failure, Abram came to a kind of an end. As the expression goes, he came to the end of himself. And we, as we've read and looked at, while Abram 
his longing for God's promise remained front and center in his mind, there was a point in there he had to really surrender to God's omniscient plan and to his sovereign care. And in this next encounter with God, Abram posed no question. We see no complaints. He just fell on his face. As God said, I am the Lord Almighty. That's quite an introduction. I am the Lord Almighty. It's like God comes with this fresh reintroduction. I am El Shaddai, the Hebrew. It's God Almighty. A good, prayer, a good paraphrase of this would, would read, I am God, specifically the Almighty One. That's who I am, Abram. It's the first time, really, the Bible uses this name for God. It's used a lot in Job, ironically enough, another man who faced a lot of silence. I am God Almighty, Abram. So we get this fresh reintroduction, so to speak. And it's a significant message that God carried with this name. Because after a period of silence, is this, this visitation of God. He says, well, I'm sometimes silent, Abram. I remain in control of your circumstances. I haven't left you, Abram. I've been with you all along. And I've been seeing you. I've been seeing your life. I am God Almighty, Abram. And I'm here to meet with you. And Abram, i got a few things I want to say to you. Now, that's pretty cool. I wonder how often I open the Bible, or you do, and, and, and we, instead of reading uh, some, uh, like we read a novel, if we don't open it and say, you know what, God has some things he wants to say to me right now. I wonder if that's our approach, because it should be. All scriptures, God breathed, and so we should take that approach. God, he has some things to say to me. Help me to hear. And the first command God gives Abram, he said, walk before me. Now, the Lord could have chosen any number of action verbs, Right? He could have said, Abram, run before me. He could have said, Abram, crawl before me. Could have said, Abram, hurry. But no, God's word choice is pretty specific. He chose the image of placing one foot in front of the other. Repetitively and consistently. You see, walking is an action that takes somebody from one place to another. Now remember, our theme is a journey. And it's a journey we on where we take step by step. There is no instant or quick maturity. It's step by step, repetitively and consistently. Sustainable action over the long haul. Now we understand it's not literal, but it's an analogy to refer to Abram's relationship with God. In other words, walk in regard to me, Abram. Do what's right. Things repetitively. Do what pleases me consistently. Day by day, Abram. Step by step. He says not only one command, walk before me. He has another one, be blameless as you do it. means complete, the word blameless. Whole, sound, having integrity. It's not referring to being perfect and sinless because we can never do that. But as you walk before me, Abram, walk with integrity. Pursue my commands. Pursue righteousness step by step, Abram. Because if you do it step by step, there's going to be great blessing. If you try to sprint this thing through, if you try to rush this thing through, Abram, it's going to be difficult. And he says the same thing to you and I. 
And there's a conjunction here for you English people. He says, walk before me and be blameless. In other words, you can't separate the two. It implies being blameless is a result of walking with God. Not running ahead, not crawling, but walking. Step by step, repetitively, consistently seeking to please God is how we can live before him blamelessly. And God's not really asking Abram to do anything different. It's not like God's showing up and saying, okay, now I want you to walk with me. I mean, he's told that Abram all along. But God's affirming his relationship. Saying, Abram, I'm God Almighty, I'm here, and continue to walk before me. Continue to pursue righteousness and be blameless. Because I'm here with you. And we have a relationship. And it hasn't changed, although I've been silent for a few years. Now, nearly 25 years had passed since God first spoken to Abraham and Ur. And since then, his spiritual roots had deepened. He trusted. He was now resting in God's sovereignty. He's now able, he's now capable of really receiving this covenant promise. It is important, though, that he listened to God. And so let's see what he heard and what we can hear, verses 3 through 16. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. And you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants. A servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abram, Abraham, as for Sarai your wife, she shall now be called, she, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of people shall come from her. You see, Abram learning to listen to God required being quiet in order to hear. There's times Abram kind of got ahead of God, if you remember in his journey. There's times that God wanted to speak, and Abram's like, no, I got an idea, I got a better idea, God. And, and he interrupted God, and he tried to kind of go his own way. Here we see Abram in a different light. He'd learn to listen. And when God broke through Abram, Abram had a lot of listening to do. And God had some things he wanted to reveal. First of all, God says to him, verse 4 and 5, Abram, I got a new name for you now. You're ready for this. God could have given 
Abram this new name years before he did it. He gives it to him now. Your name was Abram. That's what it was. His birth name meant Abram, was exalted father, but his new name, Abraham, means father of a multitude. His new name really reflected God's call on his life and that covenant promise. And to memorialize this moment, this covenant, God gave him a new name. You see, when people would ask the significance of this new name, and they said, hey, Abram, how come all of a sudden you're being called Abraham? What's with that? Abraham could say, I am so named because God Almighty El Shaddai made a covenant with me. And out of grace, El Shaddai told me my descendants will become numerous. They're going to become a nation. They'll inherit the land on which we now stand. You see, God Almighty named me Abraham. It was by grace he did so. And so Abraham Abraham has a new name. In verse 5 through 8, we see something else God told Abraham and actually reaffirmed, and that is you have an everlasting possession. Now, it wasn't hard to pick up, was it, the word everlasting? It was repeated over and over. As Abraham listened, God spoke his predictions, form of several unconditional promises. I have the word underlined because it is used a lot, starting in verse 6, God says, I will. God, Abraham's hearing from God, and God's saying, I'm going to do something, I am doing something, and it, it's something that has eternal significance, Abram. It's eternal work I'm doing. This is an eternal covenant with you that I'm talking about. This isn't a one-time thing. I will's repeated, everlasting's repeated. You also see it in verse 13. And so he speaks to him of this everlasting possession. But as Abram listened, Abraham now, God talks about the sign of the covenant. Apparently, humanity needs to be reminded, right? And God says, you know what? I, I don't want you to forget this. Matter of fact, Abraham, I want your descendants to know about this covenant and this promise. And so there's going to be a sign that I want to institute. There's a sign of this covenant. Matter of fact, that's the very uh, words he used, verse 9. God said further to Abraham, Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout this generation. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And again in verse 11, And you will be circumcised in the flesh for your foreskin. And here's a key key part of this verse. And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And what is this sign? It's one of circumcision. And this signals verse 9, because verse 9, God says, as for you, Abraham, God's just revealing this eternal possession, incredible covenant. He says, now as for you, Abraham, let me talk about this sign, the sign of circumcision. God had outlined his own part of the covenant. He'd given Abraham a new name as a confirming sign. Now he gives Abraham a part to play, a part he was to keep and teach his descendants to do the same. I asked myself a lot of questions about this. And, and one thing that kind of stood out to me as I thought about this, God wanted his people to treat this covenant with dignity and respect so all nations would be inspired to worship the one true God. That they would never forget, they'd always remember. And as a sign of the covenant, God wanted each male, starting with Abraham, to bear this personal reminder called circumcision. It was a sign of the covenant. 
And he goes on to specify several conditions regarding the circumcision. One, he says all male descendants were to be circumcised. It's the first thing he says. The second thing, he says circumcision shall take place on the eighth day after birth. The third thing he says is both natural-born descendants and even foreign servants were to be circumcised. The fourth thing he says is anyone who refuses circumcision must be cut off from the people of God. So God's serious about this. He's serious about this sign. Of all the questions that we might like to ask about this, two stand out. If you're like me, I want to know why. Why did God ask for this particular sign? I mean, if you're a man, you're a little uncomfortable with it, obviously. And so I have to ask, why this sign? Well, presumably, we could ask that. God could have given any sign, but he gave this one. Why pick something like circumcision? I think maybe the answer goes something like this. Circumcision by nature touches the very core of what it means to be a man. It is the most intimate and personal moments every Jewish male would forever be reminded that he was a holy son of the covenant and he belonged to God. No one else might know it. But once he was circumcised, he would never forget it. And that was kind of the point. Now, don't miss the significant spiritual meaning of this. I've, I've done a couple men's conferences, and, 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 and this is one of the messages I've spoke on because this is profoundly deep of what God is doing here. You see, the anatomy of a male speaks to some significant things. One is identity. One is creativity. And one is intimacy. At the core level, men, God wanted to cut away everything that would draw us away from him. God wanted man to cut away anything that affected their identity in him. God wanted to cut away, and still does, all that challenges our creativity to be all that God wants us to be. And God wants to cut away everything from our life that hinders our intimacy with him. Ah, oh, Circumcision has deep personal significance. But I have another question. Why did God choose a sign that applied only to men? Why just a man? I mean, why not a sign that, that women could relate to? That would affect them. I think the answer goes something like this. Abram and the male were head of the household. And as such, they had to answer for God for what happened in their own family. In a sense, circumcision became a means in which the man accepted his place into God's appointed order. He was the spiritual leader of the family. It's like a father giving his daughter away at a wedding. I've seen a lot of uh, dads come up and they got their daughter on their arm. And I asked them a question, who gives this father or who gives this daughter to be married to this man? And oftentimes, and rightfully so, the dad says, her mother and I. Or, if there's others. Our family does. And, and he's standing as the head of the family and speaking on behalf of the family, but he doesn't stand alone. He has a, a particular role as a spiritual leader, and I think that's one reason that God has used this sign and he used it specifically for the male. It's kind of like what Joshua said at the end of Joshua. He said, as for me and my household, all of us, we're going to serve the Lord. And so he served as the spokesman of this. And it was to serve as a personal reminder 
a symbol of man's participation in a covenant he neither deserved nor chose to receive. He didn't he wasn't circumcised to buy favor with God. It merely reminded him God gave grace to the undeserving and like Abraham he needed to re- uh, receive it by faith. Sadly, some thousands of years later at the time of Jesus, many Jewish theologians believed that circumcision automatically made a boy right with God. The Apostle Paul set the record straight by saying physical circumcision is just a symbol of a man's desire to keep the covenant, or at least it should be. Circumcision cannot replace a personal relationship with God any more than a wedding ring can be substitute for the marriage. Paul writes in Romans 2.29, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by God's Spirit. And what is Paul saying? He's saying Jewish, the Jewish brethren, the Jewish believer, has an internal devotion to God because God has circumcised his heart. It was a spiritual work. Kind of like baptism. Baptism doesn't make us right with God. Baptism symbolizes a spiritual work that's taking place. But as God talked about the sign of the covenant, he moved on, as we read in verse 16, to impart this blessing on Sarah. Sarai. You see, after having discussed his own part in the covenant, after discussing Abram's part in the covenant and his descendants, the zoom lens comes to Sarai. She hadn't had a great track record. If you remember chapter 16, uh, she didn't make the wisest decision. She certainly ran ahead of God. But God changes her name. It would go from Sarai to Sarah. Similar, but with her name changed, Sarah went from being a princess, which is what Sarai means, in subjective sense, to a princess in the objective sense of history. You see, her story is a vast demonstration of the grace of God. And as I look at Sarah now, the one thing that jumped in my, my mind is her failure didn't have the last word. And neither does yours. Your failures don't have to have the last word in your life. God's grace can come. He can change your life. He can set you into a new place and give you a new start, just like he did Sarah. He gave her a new name. She, she didn't deserve it. I mean, look at chapter 16. She totally messed up. Totally. And yet God gave her a new start by giving her a new name. God uses those who don't have it all figured out. And so some of you here are thinking, you know what? I'll wait till I got my whole life cleaned up first. Then I'll make it right with God. God says, oh no, I'll clean it up. You just surrender to me. I'll do the changing. In verse 17 through 22, we see communication with God. Abraham fell on his face, verse 17 says, and he laughed. Okay, that's the last time you went to prayer and just started laughing. Probably not often, right? And he said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? He said it in his heart. He probably was afraid to actually let it out. Verse 18, and Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. That's his human plan. But God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. 
And behold, I will bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him and exceedingly he shall become the father of 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abram. Then Abram took Ishmael, his son, and all the servants who had born in his house, all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abram's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day as God had said to him. Now Abram was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And in the very same day Abram was circumcised, and Ishmael was son, and all the men of his household who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. That's called instant obedience. And almost quickly as God's visit began, it ends. <laughs> and it, it kind of leaves Abram with, Abraham with some questions still. But we see his heart shining through. I'm really drawn to the fact that Abraham, he's honest with God. And it is, it, you've probably picked up through this whole journey, he's transparent. He doesn't try to talk of a place he's not at. And his questions come from a heart, he said he said in his heart before, of trying to, trying to sort all these things through, all the things God said. And it's, it's, it's ripe with emotion, sometimes confusion, oftentimes conviction. But it's a heart that's transparent before God. And he has a lot of questions still. And I wonder if, if at this moment, as I read got to the point where he says, by this time next year. I mean, that's getting, now it's getting real specific. Remember, before it was always something in the future. Now it's, oh, by the time next year, Abraham. I wonder if at that point, Abraham stood back and said, oh my gosh, he's serious. <laughs> you know, all along, I thought this was too good to be true, and, and maybe there's a way. But no, God's kind of, he's serious about this, Sarah, getting pregnant. And, uh, and I don't know if that's what it was, but... Um, God is so gracious to Abraham. Abraham brings up Ishmael again. And after all, Ishmael had been his son for 13 years. They played ball. They worked together. He watched his son grow. And so naturally, he would say, oh, Ishmael, my son. God says, no, it's not going to be Ishmael. It's going to be Isaac. He says, I'm, God says in his reply to Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. You're going to call him Isaac, which the name means he laughs. He's also, he's going to be the son that I've promised you. I will bless Ishmael, though, Abraham, and I'll make him into a great nation. But I'm going to establish my covenant with Isaac. Then he adds one more sentence, very specific. He says, in 12 months, Abraham, you're going to be painting the nursery and changing diapers. At your old age, you're going to have a son, you and Sarah. You see, God's never too early, and he's never too late. He's always right on time. He doesn't rush. Our prayers don't rush God. God responds to them. But God's not up there at our inkling saying, oh, I better move it along because Matt's getting impatient. No, no, not at all. He, I'm sure he laughs at times at me and says, slow down, Matt. Slow down. Because your maturity is not going to happen overnight. And like Abraham, as I'm learning from Abraham, there's times of silence, there's times of waiting. It's during those times that my roots grow deep into the promises and the presence of God, just like Abraham. Abraham responded to God. We just read it. Instant obedience by being circumcised and doing what God had told him in regard to his descendants. 
And the story of Abraham and his journey preserved by God for our instruction is an urgent call for us to respond to God. It's an urgent call for us to slow down and to go deeper. It's an urgent call for us to remind us of what really is important. And so take it from a guy, Abraham, who did not regret waiting upon God. He had to listen to God. He had to speak less and he had to listen more. I think it's important for us in closing to consider the benefits of doing this. Some of you might not be sold. Some of you might be saying, yeah, I probably should slow down. But really, is it worth it? I mean, I got a lot to do. You got a lot of important things to do, people to talk to, plans to accomplish. And maybe you're not convinced that's worth it to slow down. I want you to consider this. But I also make no mistake, this is a choice that you'll make. This doesn't come automatic. These are choices we make. When you and I slow down and go deeper, one, it increases your sensitivity. You see, slowing down and listening to God through his word and his spirit will bring you a keener, sharpened sensitivity to God's leading. You'll hear clearer his call. You'll hear clearer his voice to wait. You'll hear clearer his voice to get going. But it won't happen if you don't choose to slow down and go deeper. A second benefit Good night, this one alone's worth it. It'll decrease your anxiety. <laughs> Put simply, when you slow down and go deeper with God, you experience less worry. It's not because the problems go away, but something remarkable happens. You learn to care, I should say, you learn to care about others without allowing their opinions to bring you stress, which often is a cause of stress. More important, you'll experience less anxiety because you know you have El Shaddai, God Almighty, looking over you and walking with you and wanting to speak with you. And when we grow deeper in him, we release our tight grip on things that are fleeting. And we embrace that which brings lasting joy and we learn to hold things loosely. You see, anxiety vanishes. Peace emerges when we slow down and go deeper. I had a good week. My Chicago Cubs, after 108 years, won the World Series. I almost had a heart attack the other night. Watching this game, my family, Angel's texting me throughout the game, we're into it. My family's all texting me because we grew up together watching the Cubs when they weren't so good. And, and, I, and there was a player, they had a, a mic on the catcher. He was in the dugout, it's the fifth inning. And their all-star first baseman, Anthony Rizzo, says to him, I am an emotional wreck. And the catcher, great encouragement, says, wait till the ninth inning. I thought, man, I, I was a wreck. And the game's going on, and the anxiety is just intensifying. And as you know, the Cubs won. And, and afterwards, one of the players was interviewed saying, Ben Zobris, who was the MVP and got a huge hit in the game, he said, how could you, in that moment, with such anxiety, how did you come up with that big hit? He said, I knew I had to slow things down to that moment. I couldn't let everything else, all that was going on matter. It was just, I knew in that moment, at that at bat, I had to slow everything down to that pitch. I thought that's good counsel for life. With all that goes on around us, to slow down, to that one step we take. When you do that, 
we go deeper and there's less anxiety about all the other stuff around us. There's a third thing that you and I, when we slow down and go deeper, that will help us, is it'll foster transparency in your, work with, your walk with God. Think about your last quiet time, the last time you prayed. So often we go, and if we were honest, we'd leave saying, that was a neat Bible verse, the daily bread was good, I kind of, I agree with what was said, but could we leave and say, you know what, at the heart level I connected with God. Isn't that the issue? And if we don't connect at that level, that means we're not being transparent. We're not looking at Scripture and saying, you know what, I don't, I'm not lining up with this. I lied to my coworker. I cut corners here. God, I, I, I confess it to you. I confess there are times I don't even want to come and meet with you. That's transparency. It almost sounds taboo. Like, I could never say that to God. But when you and I slow down and go deeper, we recognize transparency is a blessing you and I have before God. We can become honest with God, but it'll never happen if we don't slow down and go deeper. Would transparency with God mark your journey? If it doesn't, the odds are pretty good you haven't slowed down. What else happens when we slow down and go deeper? We avoid unnecessary tragedy. This is a big one. By slowing down, when we take life step by step, when we deliberately stay connected to the Lord, you'll not rush ahead of God. You'll not make decisions that consequences bring you shame or load you up with regret. You see, by slowing down and going deeper, it will help you and I to avoid regrets of quick, foolish decisions. Choices that will result in a lifetime of regret. When you and I slow down and go deeper, it helps us avoid unnecessary tragedy. So refuse to rush forward, because if you do, you'll overlook details, you'll miss patterns that would make decisions more effective. So slow down. Learn to wait on God. Deliberately commit to walking with God instead of running ahead and expecting him to rubber stamp your choices. Because depth of maturity takes time. My dad used to write articles for a financial publication. And the particular articles he wrote were about how to save money in home maintenance. Dad had a lot of experience with that. And I remember one particular article stood out to me. And Dad and I had a, a long discussion on this. And in the article, Dad says, the first step to maintaining your home, the first step to saving money in maintaining your home was something I never would have dreamt. And here it is. He said, climb up on the roof of your house and look around. Well, that's a dumb thing to do. First of all, Dad would always send me up on the roof because he never wanted to go. So I'm like, yeah, good one for you to say, Dad. But, but Dad said, here's why, Matt. We often look from the ground up at our house. We often look from the ground at our property. We never climb up and get a different perspective, right? He said, climb on the roof, Matt. Look at the house from the top down. Look at your property that way. Then you can make the best decision of how to maintain it and what it needs and what it doesn't need. I guess here's my encouragement to you. Climb up on the top of your house this week and look around. What do you see? Look at your life. Spiritually climb up and say, God, help me to see my life as it really is. 
But you see, you'll never take that climb if you don't slow down. And if you don't slow down and do it, you're not going to get God's perspective on a thing who truly is above all. And God calls you and I to slow down because he knows holiness can't be acquired overnight. He knows maturity doesn't happen quickly. It happens step by step. And so slow down. Learn to wait. And you and I can grow deep. Let's pray. Father, once again, as we open your word, I trust we're encouraged. Certainly challenged. And certainly blessed. Blessed because you've spoken to us. Bless God because it's, this word has come from your heart to our hearts. Lord, we recognize that it's really not in us to slow down. It's not, we don't seem to be wired that way. Our culture has so conditioned us, it seems. The pace of life is something we just kind of fall in line with. But God, I thank you this morning. You call us to step away from that into a different type of life. A life of a different pace. A life that we look at from a different perspective. And my earnest prayer for my brothers and sisters this week, God, is that you would take them on the top of the roof of their life to look down, to really see from your eyes what's going on. I pray that each of us would slow down to hear your heart, to take time, to walk away from those times with you, God, by living a life that takes a step at a time, that doesn't rush ahead of you, that doesn't lag behind, but just keeps in step. So God, slow us down, continue to teach us to wait, and grow us deeper as we lean upon you and we spend time with you. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate that. I got a question, though. Uh, they had over 5 million people at their parade. Chicago has got just under 3 million in the metropolitan area. They sound like Packer fans. <laughs> Where'd they get all those fans? I'm impressed. My grandpa was a, grandpa was a Cubs fan. My name's Tom Ganser. I'm an elder here at Elam, and... Uh, uh, this is our time for, uh, 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 for family prayer. Before we do that, though, I want to call on Cambria Robertson. There's Cambria. Welcome back. She's going to share uh, a little about her ministry in Guatemala. Good morning. It is a pleasure to be here. Um, I had the opportunity to come home and, sorry, see my grandmothers. They're both in their 90s, and the Lord has given me the opportunity to see them while they're still alive. And so that's part of the reason for this trip. But I wanted to share with you guys just what the Lord has been doing in our lives in Guatemala, but also here in the States. This summer, I'm sure some of you heard about our home in Texas, that we really felt in June like the Lord had brought this home to us. But we're like, okay, Lord, you have to provide the money because we had no money for it. 
And literally within three weeks, the Lord gave us $64,000. And the house in Texas is paid for. When I shared this testimony with a friend in Guatemala who's a fellow missionary, he said, you may never live there with the way things are in the States. And I said, you know what? I don't know what the Lord has planned, but this is a home that he has for people to use. As I was on our way, my way from Georgia this summer to Texas to meet Michael and Kiersey, I called a friend in over to next to Dallas and she said, Cambria, there's this missionary who's home right now and she doesn't have a place to stay. She's been living with their daughter, but she needs just a quiet place to rest. And so she has been the first one to stay actually in the home already. And the awesome part of it is she's going to be coming down to Guatemala in January to work at our girls' school and be a teacher. How the Lord has just, all of this, you can see his plan and it wasn't our plan and now he has just laid it all out. And now there's another couple who will be staying in the house um, come December because they're going to be trans transitioning into missions and needed a place to stay. So we just praise the Lord and thank each one of you for your part in this because this is what he wanted to do. And we're just standing back and go, oh my goodness. Thank you, Father, for what you've done. I want to thank each one of you for the Christmas boxes for the kids in Guatemala. I have never, we have received a lot of Christmas boxes in 11 years that we have been in Guatemala, but the last, I think, three that you guys have been involved have been the most amazing gifts. It's not just going to the dollar store and putting a bunch of stuff in. I have seen gifts that are packed to the gills with beautiful things for the children. And that shows your love and care of not giving just a little bit of, oh, you know, well, this is good at, at the cheap box of dollar crayons. No, it has been expensive things. And I want to thank each one of you and those who have actually taken um, on that for us. It has been an absolute blessing. I have my little cheat sheet because otherwise I might lose it. Um, I wanted to share one other thing with you guys. I felt very strongly with our goddaughters, and as Deb was speaking this morning, we have to be prepared and we need to be teaching our children not to deny who Jesus Christ is. He is our Lord and Savior, and I've told my girls, I don't know what the Lord has planned for your life, but you were born for a specific reason and purpose, and you need to know that if you ever question about your faith, you do not deny who Jesus Christ is. He is your Lord and Savior. And that is one of the things that you can pray for our children at House of Hope, that they will come to that strong and firm knowledge that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, and they would not deny him when they are questioned someday and challenged in their faith. So I just want to thank you for your prayers, and we want to introduce the newest member of our family who you did not get to see. You've probably seen pictures. We'll see if she'll walk up here. Kiera has been our little surprise, but our little blessing, and so we wanted, I wanted you to be able to at least see her today. She um, has been my secretary, so if you don't get a response from me immediately, you understand why. Say hola. So thank you for giving me this time just to be able to share with you. And thank you for your prayers. We cannot be in Guatemala without you guys here. Each one of you is an integral part of what we do down there because you are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to us. So thank you. Cambria, let, let me uh, just uh, go before the Lord on your behalf here. Father, we thank you so much for uh, using Cambria and Mike and their family Blessing the House of Hope, Father. Blessing their, their work, 
shining your light on their path. Father, providing for them in their time of need. Lord, we, we just, uh, we're honored to be able to support uh, Cambria and Mike and their mission there. And we pray that you continue to shine your light on their path. You continue to pour out your provision, Father, and you would, you would just uh, bring many people that they're, they're influencing in that part of the world to your throne, Father. We just pray that, that there would be open hearts and uh, many people would come to know you because of their work. We just uh, lift them up to you at this time and ask a special blessing on their behalf. In Jesus' precious name. So on your bulletin, there's a card, a connection card. We would invite you to request that you fill those cards out and put them in the offering plate when the uh, offering comes by at the end of this time of prayer. Um, <clears throat> and uh, with that, I'm going to...